This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. There are hundreds of battles right out there in the world that are being waged right now in the field of conflicting ideas regarding husbands and wives and homes. There are myriads of views and philosophies that are bombarding us in the media, and they all are struggling to capture our attention. They all are struggling to gain our allegiance. And I believe that in a time like this, that we are to go to the most assuring place. We are to go to the source of comfort for answers. That is the infallible, inspired, inerrant Word of God. Now, I'm fully aware that there are some, perhaps many, in the mainline churches today, who would see the biblical view of marriage, the biblical view of the role of a husband to her wife and a wife to her husband, to be outmoded, to be obsolete, to be old-fashioned, to be offensive, to be in opposition to progress and cultural consensus. Yet in my estimation, our biggest problems begin when we depart from the revealed mind of God in the words of the Scripture. Our troubles begin when we depart from the revealed mind of God as we have it in His Word. And the sooner we understand and obey what God has to say to us, even in this conflicting society, if we understand and obey the role of the husband and wife in the Word of God, the greater, I believe, our peace will be. The greater our harmony will be. So I begin where the Scripture begins. But before I do this, I want to say two things by way of explanation. I'm going to single out the men today, and I'm going to speak about the role of the husband. Women go to seminars, read books. Did you know that 85% of all the Christian books are bought by women? This is absolute statistics. Men don't read books, don't buy them. 15%. Very few people speak to husbands. Very few people speak to men, let alone husbands always reminding their wives of Ephesians 5 that they have to be submissive to their husbands. The second thing I want to say, that it is inevitable when I single out the husbands, wives will be enjoying, I guess, the change of pace, (laughs) But some will say, what about the singles? Are you not leaving them out? Well, I don't like to leave anybody out. My advice, publicly and privately, to single people, men or women, is regardless of their age, that they always must hope 
And I believe that unless a person has the gift of remaining single, he or she ought to pray specifically, definitively, and unembarrassingly for God to provide him with a spouse. Now, having covered all this, I want to get back to the Scripture. And the Word of God said that God created humanity. But when He created humanity, as you read on in Genesis, in the expounded edition, in the next two chapters, you find that God created the man first. Adamah. He made Adam out of the dust of the earth. And He breathed upon him, and He created him in His own image. That is to say, that He created him with an ability to relate to Almighty God. A gift that has not been given to any of the species that God created. But then there's more. God gave Adam certain commands and certain responsibilities. He gave him certain instructions. All of this before he created the woman. And it is clear that Adam was able to communicate to his wife what God told him. For you notice, if you read on, that when the evil one tries to persuade Eve to disobey God and ignore his command, Eve recites to the evil one verbatim exactly what God told her husband. Now the evil one went to the woman first in order to create dissatisfaction in her role, in order to create confusion as regard to their role. For Adam was given the responsibility of leadership. He was given leadership responsibility in the garden. He was asked to name all the animals. He was in charge of the garden. God created a helpmate for him. A woman. A woman over whom he is to spread his wings of love and protection. A woman over whom he is to support and to nourish and to take care of and to cherish. A woman over whom Adam is to express a loving, tender relationship. But where was Adam when his wife fell? Have you asked yourself that question? Where was he when Eve was tempted? Why didn't Adam exercise his God-given responsibility of leadership? What responsibility did he take when finally God confronted him with his sin? None, it would appear. Instead of leading, Adam was following. But even more devastating than this, he wouldn't admit that the buck stops with him. Adam abdicated his leadership responsibility. He blamed God for giving him the wife. It's the only time that God said, it is not good when Adam was alone. Everything in creation was great. And God said it was good. It was good. It was good. With Adam, when he was alone, he said, that is not good. And therefore, he gave him a gift. A gift of a woman. But Adam abdicated his responsibility. He blamed God for giving him that gift. Instead of correcting his wife, instead of leading his wife into repentance, he found a sorry excuse. Instead of saying, honey, 
You remember what I told you God said? <laughs> he said, well, let's try and see what it's like. And from creation on, there isn't a happy marriage anywhere where the husband abdicates his role of headship and leadership. I am yet to see one happy marriage where the husband is not exercising his headship in the home. I am yet to see a happy marriage when the husband hides or shrinks from his responsibility as the priest of his house. Now I know some of you men are saying, uh, listen, we work hard all day long. And we want to come home, we don't want to get bothered with responsibilities. And others probably are saying, look, I grew up with a domineering mother. She ran the show. My father put up with it. I'm going to put up with mine. Or some of you probably are saying, well, look, I'm bringing home the bacon and that's all I'm going to do. And you could give me ten other excuses. None of them will hold water. For God created man to be the overall decision maker at the home, to be the head of the home, to be the priest of the home. And when the chips were down, God held Adam accountable. The New Testament writers held Adam accountable. Romans 5.12, Paul said, Therefore as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all because all sinned. Now this is not based upon a supposition that we should absolve Eve from her sin. She too has sinned and therefore she too received the judgment of God. But God made Adam to be the head of the Adam family. God made Adam to lead his family. Not to follow. And God does not Ask men to lead their homes, to lead their households, to exercise spiritual responsibility, to exercise moral decision-making without giving them the wisdom to do it. I believe that with all my heart. You see, when sin entered into the world, the roles were reversed. When sin entered into the world, man abdicated his responsibility. In fact, the best thing that Adam could do under the circumstances is that he tried to hit from God. But God, whose eyes see beyond the facade of withering wreaths, God whose eyes sees beyond our public masks, the God whose eyes searches the depths of our hearts, he called out to Adam. You notice God didn't say, Eve, Eve, where are you? He knew who did what. But he called Adam, and he said, Adam, Adam, where are you? You don't think God didn't know where Adam was, do you? He knew exactly where he was. But God is a gentleman. He doesn't push his way. He doesn't invade your life. He seeks you out. He seeks me out. He speaks to you. He speaks to me. He pricks our conscience. He will call you again and again to your responsibility of leadership in your home. And when we persist in hiding, whether it be in the bottle or in the office or in the social activities, when we persist in ignoring our helpmate whom God has given us as gift, sooner or later we will pay the price. Now there are some men who think that the problem are going to be solved 
by walking out on their wives and marrying another one. They think that the next wife is going to solve the problem. And the problem is internal. It's not outside of them. Listen. I don't care what cultural consensus have said. I don't care what mold the world is trying to squeeze us in. I don't care what the philosophers and the secular psychologists are saying. God said to the husband, you are to be the head of your household. You are to be the priest of your home. And that is not negotiable. When he abdicates God-given responsibility, you and I, men, are going to pay the price sooner or later. Well, some of you are saying, okay, what kind of leadership are you talking about? I have to tell you honestly that this particular subject has been misunderstood for years, generations. For too long, I believe. And society, like all societies, always swing from one extreme to the next. That's what the way societies react. In the past, men have mistreated their wives. They have treated them as second-class citizen. And men have interpreted leadership to mean dictatorship. And now we have swung to the other extreme. In modern day, men abdicated their God-given responsibilities. But let me tell you something. Hear me right. Biblical headship in the home is innocent of both those extremes. Godly headship of the husband in the home results from the working of God in a man's life. A godly husband leads his wives not by giving authoritative utterances, but by leading by what he is. Not who he is, but what he is. You see, authority for the sake of authority may disclose uh, an unreasonable, insecure husband who has to dominate in order to bolster his own ego. But godly leadership is a man who speaks with spiritual authority. And don't confuse spiritual authority with being authority on spiritual things. Two are not the same. Spiritual authority reveals something about the inner life of the godly man. Spiritual authority reveals the character of God as it is reflected and worked out and perfected in the life of the husband. And that is why Genesis 2.24 makes a statement that was repeated both by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Apostle Paul. He said, therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. It is the man, you notice, who leaves and cleaves. He is the one who shoulders double responsibility. And that's why the Scripture said that in some mysterious way, that in some way that is beyond our comprehension, a husband's relationship to his wife, A husband's headship of his wife in the home depicts Christ's relationship to the believers, to the church. Don't ask me to explain it. It's a mystery. Now, men, I know you're listening. God bless you for putting up with me. This is a solemn business. This is an incredible responsibility. And God knows I do not speak as a perfect husband. But I can tell you what the Word of God said. If you turn with me to Ephesians 5.25, this very famous passage, and the following verses, you will see exactly 
the responsibility that God put upon the husbands in the home. The Scripture said a husband is to love his wife. He is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. One of you will ask, I said, wait a minute, is it the same quality of love? Yes. That's a scary assignment. It is. I think for too long we've taken marriage very lightly. But somehow God equipped men to live up to this calling. The calling of the headship in the home. How does Christ love the church? Well, look at the following verses. He gives himself up for her. God's love is all sacrificing. Not a tinge of selfishness. Not a thought of me first. Not a word about being fulfilled first. Not a word about being tired of giving. Not a word about finding another woman and fleeing off the coop. Not a word about if it doesn't work out, we can get a divorce. His love for the church is constant. It is willful love. It is determined love. His love for her is not dependent upon her feeling. It is not dependent upon her mood. It is a constant love. His love for her is nourishing, is cherishing, is sustaining. Now, I promise you, men, there's not a woman in her right mind that wouldn't want to submit to a man like that. I say her right mind because a friend told me about a young doctor in Virginia His wife got caught up with a sect who began to undermine their marriage. And finally she left and took her kids and and left him. And for two years he held out. He said, no such thing as divorce. We are married in the sight of God and I'll wait for you. And in the letter he said, her heart is turned toward me and home. By his constant love for her and seeking her, being faithful to her. He said, now can continue to pray that her heart would turn toward the Lord and His Word. But there's another thing about this Ephesians passage. Instructing husbands and wives. You will find in this passage none of the ifies. (laughs) It doesn't say that if He loves you this way, you submit. It doesn't say if you submit, then love her as Christ loved the church. I said, now wait a minute, this is a tall order. I know it is. Can any husband live up to this? There's only one way in which this tall order can be fulfilled. It is through obedience to God and to His Word. For I believe it is obedience that undergirds the very structure of the marriage. You see, the lines of authority all worked out from the day of creation. From the very pages of the Scripture, and they run straight through the Scripture. I don't understand how we can stumble over them. The husband is responsible to God, not to his wife. And the wife is responsible in the Lord to her husband. This is God's standards, not man's. This is God's design, not society's. And when we obey it, we find fulfillment. When we obey it, the result is oneness, is peace, it's harmony, it is serenity. But when we get it out of kilter, 
Here begins our trouble. The one final instruction in the Word of God that I want to share with you, the husbands. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, along with some good wisdom for wives as well. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Live considerately with your wives, bestowing honor on them as the weaker sex, since you are joint heirs of the grace of life, in order that your prayers might not be hindered. You know what? I read that verse I don't know how many times. And in that one verse, there is enough practical wisdom to fill a counseling manual. Understanding and obeying this verse alone can make all the difference in a marriage. It gives a definition of what love is. Here's what the dictionary said. The dictionary defines the word considerate as being observant of the feeling of others. Showing thoughtfulness and kindness. Being considerate doesn't mean that you will do all your wife's work. I'm not saying that. Or it's going to say like modern society said, reverse your roles. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying become her helpmate. No. But it means that you husbands will be sensitive to her needs of being appreciated. Of being sensitive to her need to be understood. To being sensitive to her need for affection. It means that you will have a high degree of empathy about what her life is like. It means that you will not belittle her. And you will not take her for granted. And that you will not abuse her. It means that you will act in honor toward her. You're going to act in honor toward her well-being as a person. The gift of God that God has given you. Why is Peter saying that men ought to do this? Because husbands and wives together, he said, are heirs of grace. Together. Because of Christ's death, both together have received a joint inheritance. Not one piece here and one piece there. A joint inheritance. You share it together because you both are one. This leaves no room for selfishly grabbing for one's share of life's goodies. Because God's kind of inheritance to the husband and wife are bound together in one inheritance. In oneness package of the grace of life. Can you imagine life without grace? Without that special God-like touch. See, grace is bound in the character of God. The God who wants and does want to enrich us. A God who does not deal with us according to our deservings. And Peter is saying, joint lives of the grace of life is that grace that comes to us because Jesus chooses to grace our homes with His presence. Because He is pleased to dwell with families. 
Because He is willing to change homes. Because He is willing to heal marriages. Because He is prepared to transform broken relationships. Because He is able to change attitudes. He is full of grace and truth. And when He is made truly the head of the home, His character infects us. His life-giving spirit produces love, joy, peace. Husband must be considerate to their wives. Why? Listen to what he said in that verse. He said, lest your prayers be hindered. God doesn't promise to answer the prayer of the disobedient. God doesn't promise to answer the prayer of the unjust. God doesn't promise to answer the prayer of the thoughtless. God doesn't promise to answer the prayer of the unfaithful. For it is only when the husband obeys God that the home goes the right way. And both husband and wife together have an opportunity to experience the happiness, the contentment, the harmony. You're not going to experience perfection. Don't misunderstand me. We are living in sin. We're, we are in the flesh. And problems will always arise. But the overall picture is secure. Because it is founded upon obedience of men, of the priests of the home, of the heads of the home, to the Word of God, in loving their wives, in cherishing their wives, and in nourishing their wives. And now the Holy Spirit is dealing with us. And the Holy Spirit wants to heal, wants to mend. Never rift or divide. It's called the spirit of unity. The spirit of God wants to unite. And the Holy Spirit probably is doing work in your life right now. Will you let him? Maybe convicting you of sin. Maybe convicting you of unfaithfulness. Maybe convicting you of just taking your spouse for granted. Lord Jesus... Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you don't give up on us so easily. Help us not to give up on each other. Lord Jesus Christ, heal the wounds. Bind the brokenhearted. Strengthen the fainthearted. Give courage to men to stand up and take the responsibility of being the priests of their home, the nourishers and the cherishers of their wives. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. If there's someone like this couple that I talked about, a wife who's living in disobedience to her husband, say, Lord, help me. Lord, you change my husband. Help me to love him and to obey him and to submit to him, as your word have said. A single person you're not sure what God has for you, said, Lord Jesus Christ, give me the man or the woman after your own heart. Give me the spouse that you have chosen for me, that we together learn what the Word of God said, and we obey it.